0: Welcome again to the Cartoon Lunch Podcast. My guest today is uh, Martin Olson. Martin is a um, animation writer. He writes uh, for scripts, animation scripts as well as premises. I worked with him on three shows. I worked with Martin on the first show was um, Rocco's Modern Life. Then years later, many years later, I worked on. Uh, we worked together on Camp Laszlo. And uh, finally, we worked uh, together for like a long, like six years on Phineas uh, and Fur*. Um, on top of writing for animated TV shows, Martin writes for comedy, uh, comedy live comedy shows, comedy uh, specials for TV. He's a science fiction writer. He's a book writer, um, songwriter. So let's listen to Martin in the first part. This is only the first part of my uh, conversation with Martin Olson. So today I'm here with my friend Martin Olson. Hello, hello, Martin. Uh, so Martin <coughs> and I met on the Rocco's Modern Life Show. Yeah, I thought you were interviewing me. I was supposed to say that. Yeah, I'm gonna say. And it. I'm not gonna say. i say anything. 1993. Wow, that's when we met. Yeah, because I was there. I was uh, yeah. I was on Rugrats from 91 to 93. I started on Rocco in 93, and that's where I met you. But you were already there. I started in the spring of 93, and you were already there upstairs as a writer. Huh? Yeah. Were you in France
1: when I was first starting Rocco?
0: No, I was on Rugrats.
1: Oh, wow.
0: So I heard that there was I another you show You worked started. on every
1: show. You worked on millions just No. And you knew Orson Welles.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Okay. You
1: absolutely knew Orson Welles.
0: <laughs> but
1: he wouldn't help him. Why would no, you say I that's, I that's not true? Him. Yeah.
0: So how how did you get... so? Let's talk about Rocco. How did he get the job on Rocco? How did he end up on towards Rocco Mary on? Harrington? Yes, yeah, she <coughs> did everything. She, mm-hmm. I'm
1: totally in debt to her, <clears throat> and she got me work um, with uh, with Swampy on Little Dracula or Young Dracula. Is that something? before Rocco?
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. So how yeah, did, what was your first, your job right before Rocco? You went from... from I think it was a Little Dracula. A little Dracula. No, it might have been uh, Don't Watch
1: This Show for Cinemax with Bob Goldthwaite. Ah. With Bobcat. And how did you meet Mary? Um, through uh, the person that got me every single thing I've ever gotten, which is Annette Van Duren. Mm. I was the luckiest person in the world to meet her mm-hmm. when we both were starting out. So she knew Mary and introduced you to... She knew everyone. She, she's my agent. She's been, yeah, yeah, yeah. been my friend for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And she's going to do the
0: eulogy of my funeral. Oh, that's good. Her and Doug. Yeah. We're here with Martin's friend, Doug Miller. You
1: yeah. can't decide who gets to go first.
0: So so that's how you got on Rocco. You were hired as a writer with... Uh, George Mistry was there? Yeah, George. Right? There were another or two or three writers? Yeah,
1: there were. There's George and... And I forgot to say that Joe Murray was the other one that started everything for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Mary Harrington and Joe Murray. So uh, that was the greatest experience ever. If you remember, we had... Yeah. It was like the Wild West. Everybody was... I mean, it was all geniuses who were... I'm surrounded by these geniuses who later started the biggest shows Mm -hmm. in the world, you know. It was a lot of people's <clears throat> first or second job. Yeah. You know? I have one story. Late at night, uh, how I met Dan Pavenmeyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Swampy was the director, and Dan was the, his board guy. Oh, that's good. On Rocco. And I used to work late at night because I was dumb, and I just, it just takes me so long to write. And I was trying to learn how to write faster. <clears throat> and it's like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And I'm the only one there, and the halls are dark and everything. But I kept hearing the couple nights before, because I was working late for a while. Plus, mm-hmm. I'd have to try to work on other things, you know, to get yeah. side jobs, because writer doesn't make that much dough. And I keep hearing this clicking, and this noise down the hall. So third, second or third night, I walked out, and the hall's dark. And I knock on the door, and the whole room is dark except for this flashing light, and it's Dan Pavenmeyer working late too, doing walk cycles for heifer, and the, uh-huh. he just was doing it to just do it. Yeah. So he was like me; he's just a, was a hard worker. <clears throat> so he and I have been friends ever since.
0: He so wanted to make the show better and, and be involved in the show. Yeah, and and plus it's just—I mean, yeah.
1: some people just like to work. So we had that
0: in common. Mm-hmm. So what was the the show you worked on, little? Dracula before? I was with Mike Young on one of the nicest Oh, guys Mike ever. Young, yeah, I know Mike Young. Yeah. So and his wife. I mean, they were.
1: Yeah. The Swampy there, yeah.
0: <clears throat> so how did you get into that? That was in LA, right? Mike Young in, in the valley. and oh, that introduced too. me to Mary, <laughs> mm-hmm. who got me that
1: gig, I believe.
0: <clears throat>
1: and she also got me the. As a result of that, because the scripts I did were good for that, <clears throat> I, I called up my idol robert Sheckley, the science fiction mm-hmm. writer and asked him if he wanted to collaborate on a script with me for a children's show and he said yeah <laughs> so he and i wrote the second little dracula script. <laughs> wow it was about a house with infinite rooms and they're trying to find their way out of it an old haunted house a multi-dimensional house that <laughs> they uh, had to
0: find their way home through it through the different doorways in the mm-hmm. hall <laughs> So it was a fun visual thing. So these scripts got you the job on on Rocco? Yeah. I think, yeah. And you met with Joe and he liked you and you got the job. Plus I had
1: tapes because I was, excuse me, strictly a comedy writer at that time. So I had tapes of, you know, the shows that I'd mm-hmm. done. They were the craziest clips ever because I
0: worked with the craziest comics. <clears throat> so the comedy work was mostly, was in L.A. or mostly Boston? Uh no. Was Boston and then yeah. out here. I had a TV show. So like, how did it start? Let's like, start when you were a little kid. Did you want to do comedy writing or cartoon stuff or? <clears throat> when my mother was
1: on her deathbed, she said, "I want to show you something. Uh, go, it's over there." I, I remember I forgot to show it to you before. She said, "It's a it's a shirt box. Get get the shirt box." And I open up the shirt box. I go over to her, and there's crinkly paper, and inside are two books i wrote when i was huh. eight or something joke book book one by bart olson and joke book number two uh-huh. by bart olson and it was i was re- trying to be a joke writer
0: at that age about like eight yeah so you, you were actually writing them down, down. You're huh? actually writing them down, not just telling jokes to people. You're actually writing them. down. Well, I never told books.
1: jokes, but I just could. I I could never write jokes. Mm-hmm. It took me till I was in my fifties to learn how to write jokes. I was never witty. I'm not a witty person. So, so these
0: I, books were really bad.
1: That you wrote. It was unbelievably horribly bad. <laughs> oh god! But I don't think you can be good. Yeah, at, yeah. I mean, maybe it's not true, but I don't think you can be good unless you're bad first. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but maybe you could get bad.
0: After you're good, too, which I think is what's happening now. Oh, yeah, to a lot of people. It's cyclic. So after these books, when your mom told you you should be a comedy, how old were you? Um, there were
1: two phases to this question. Sorry to be boring about No, it. no, no, no. One was that I was, wrote that joke books. <clears throat> but to my defense, at age eight, I was writing kind of anti-jokes because I didn't know how to write jokes. So I wrote things that weren't funny on purpose.
0: What made you... What was your influence for that? What kind of I was comedian
1: on... Uh, my mom said, come on in. I <clears throat> want you to watch this TV show because I liked the Dick Van Dyke show because they mm-hmm. had the comedy writers on it. And I remember I wanted to be a comedy writer from that show. Mm-hmm. And she said, check this out because it's Dick Van Dyke's summer show, summer variety show. And on that show was a guest, a special guest who was a put-on artist. And he made believe that he was a guy that was from another country that couldn't talk. And then he made believe... Then he transitioned into... From this idiot that could barely tell bad jokes <laughs> into an Elvis impression.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: a perfect man. Elvis impression. And then he did fucking crazy... Uh, playing the conga. Was, yeah. it was Andy Kaufman. Yeah. <clears throat> so that blew my mind. And from that moment on, I... I was focused on being a comedy writer. And
0: the fake stuff. Well, that was... Making fun of something or pretending to something. Uh, Everything you just said. Mm -hmm. Sort
1: of the put-on thing. Satire.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because Andy Kaufman was doing a satire of a
0: comedy act. Mm -hmm. So that was how it started. And then how did you get your first job in comedy? Like writing? I was in Boston... Uh, I, was, I was trying to start... Because he got a involved of, in a, with a lot of comedians in
1: Boston. <clears throat> Excuse me, I will congest it. Yeah. Uh, I was doing record, uh, homemade records with Jeff Root, uh, my songwriting partner in Boston, mm-hmm. when I was 18. And we recorded four albums in his garage, <clears throat> in his basement. And then I said, why don't we do some comedy records? Because I love Mm. comedy records. And so we started recording comedy things. We did Super 8 comedy films. And then I wanted to do, like, because there were no comedy clubs in Boston, so I wanted to do a comedy Mm. theater. And so I put an ad in the paper, and I got the church in Harvard Square to say, yes, we could do it in their basement, and all this kind of stuff. Hmm. And then um, I saw in the newspaper that there was a, comedy class that sean maury the comedian from the tonight show one of the best joke writers ever mm. really really good joke writer was having a comedy class so i'd never taken a class like that so i went and i met paul barkley and bill downs in that class and i told him about my the why i wanted to do this comedy theater and they said, well, we want to do a stand-up club. There's no stand-up, and we already have a place that we want to, you want to join in with us. I said, she, they said, do you do Kai? I said, no, but I play piano. Yeah. And they said, well, you can be a piano player, and you could produce it with us. Mm. So we started the first comedy club in Boston. It was a huge success. Huh. I mean, people, within <laughs> six months, there were lines down the street. It was unbelievable. <laughs>
0: How did that work? How did you? How did just people pure know luck. about it? Yeah. Oh, uh, ads in the paper. Oh yeah, in the Boston Phoenix. Yeah. So there was a market for it. People wanted to. It was to just pure luxury comedy. And did you do anything else, or was had that become your job, or did you did you do word? I was working as time? a technical writer. <laughs> technical writer for for for, what? for. for
1: for international navigation, Internav. <coughs> which excuse me designed a navigation equipment for ships on the Great Lakes. So they shipped me off to the Great Lakes, and I had to do the, you know, pick up the data and, you know, figure out the, and write reports on it.
0: Wow.
1: They gave me a truck, and it was enormous pay.
0: Why did you get that job?
1: Because I worked as a technical, I just went in and bullshitted my way in to be a technical writer. (laughs) because I could write anything. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take any talent to be a good writer. You just have to like it and work Mm -hmm. at it. To be a creative writer, it's different. But anybody could be a technical writer if you have, if you like working hard, you know, which Mm -hmm. I did. So I got that job. So I worked that day and nights I would, every night, be at the Comedy Connection at the club. Mm hmm Playing piano. (laughs) And writing material for the comedians trying to, and they all were really nice to me, and it, my material was horrible, but they all were super nice to me about it, because also I liked uh, put-on stuff, put-on yeah, 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 like you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You used to do prank phone calls when you yeah. were a kid. Some of the funniest shit ever.
0: Well, they're in French, you didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you and I became friends because we both like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And science fiction, too. In science fiction, yeah. So after the comedy... So how long did that last, the comedy, that success of the going. comedy show? Oh, really, really, the place. Huge so success. why did you leave it? Why? What happened?
1: How long did you stay there? Uh, Barry Crimmins came into town, <laughs> and mm-hmm. s- three years t- year later, that was in 1978, I'm so old, and then... So, so this was going strong for like three
0: years, at least, right, while you were there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was huge. Mm-hmm. And I met all the comedians that would later be part of my life in
0: Hollywood. Mm-hmm.
1: <coughs> because I wrote comedy stuff. Excuse me. The comedians, who, when they got HBO specials, they then asked me to be head writer. Hmm. So it just was the right place, right time. I was lucky. Yeah. And um, a hard worker, so... Yeah. And When I was... couldn't figure out or write anything funny, I just figured it out. And it was still when you were in Boston? In or Boston... Was...
0: When, until <coughs> when, when did you leave Boston? In
1: 1981.
0: Oh, so you were still working on that thing?
1: Well, man, the main thing was I met Doug Miller in Boston. Uh. Because uh, Jim Harris, this fellow that just walked up to me out of the blue and said, Hey, I have an idea for a show for Channel 38, which was a UHF station at the time, which mm-hmm. was off the regular yeah, dial yeah. in old ancient times. And it was the Sports Channel, and they were doing monster movies at night. <clears throat> so Jim Harris had the idea of proposing a comedy show, a half-hour of comedy <laughs> wrapped around the monster movie, like Sven Gulli or any of yeah. these guys. So he and I went in to pitch it. We met Doug Miller, who was the producer of it,
0: huh.
1: and the director of it. And so Doug and I wrote, and Lenny, Lenny Clark was the host Mm-hmm. Lenny was my roommate, and he was the funniest comedian in Boston probably he was the he was kind of like the Richard Belzer of Boston mm-hmm. saloon comic to the 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 funniest, except that Lenny was also a surrealist, so he and I got along really well. so Lenny was the host of that show. We had all the tapes from the show, and all the comedians Stephen Wright and Barry Crimmins mm-hmm. and
0: oh they all came on the show
1: they everybody was on the show <clears throat> and played the craziest things ever. And um, so, as a result, with those tapes, then I came out here, mm. and that's how I got Annette Van Duren, to, because I had material,
0: and she saw. Well, that it how was did funny. you meet her? At a party. Yeah. And. Um, and then you knew she was an agent. She was already doing agent. She
1: yes, yeah, she was working at Swanson agent. Company. Mm-hmm. And I think, forgive me if I have this wrong, but I think that she got they she got pregnant while she was working on the show and they thought of reasons to get rid of her because they didn't want to pay paternity things mm-hmm. or whatever so that was really my first eye-opener of what it's like to be a woman in hollywood you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so she said "The hell with this i'm taking all my clients with me and starting my own agency mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so
0: she's just the best plus she's like one of my closest yeah. friends so so when you came here, you were kind of, after you met, you met her, you were kind of like, got into her bubble of friends and people she knew, and correct. she introduced you to people, and... and
1: Plus, I was working days out here as a, in construction, demolition, and... <laughs> really? And as a, as a host at a, at a restaurant, at like a diner, you know, at night. So it was writing stuff in between, because in order to get jobs writing, my agent, she said, oh, by the way, nobody's going to read anything, but you have to write all this stuff. The main thing you have to do is once you get in there, you have to pitch it. I said, mm-hmm. well, I'm a writer. I'm not a talker. So she's, she said, well, you're going to have to learn. so I had to write a spec, a spec TV script, a spec uh, a movie script. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of joke things like a package for a nighttime TV, yeah, yeah, yeah. desk pieces and monologue material, this kind of thing. So I'm an idiot, so I didn't know, so I had to figure it out. So, how old were you when you got to LA? Uh, 30, 28. 30? Wow. 29. <clears throat> wow. But that story was full of serendipitous stuff, too. I drove, the reason why I came out here was because. Uh, I had the show. Oh, we got fired for the show. Doug and I got the fired. TV show. Uh-huh. Doug and I got fired because we had two sketches that the main guy brought Doug in and said, "The show's over. You're fired." Were shows that I came up with, uh, a segments. One was Negro News that Jim Jimmy Smith, who was a black comedian who was hysterical, mm-hmm. nice guy, but he did Negro News to make fun of uh, of of everything wrong and to say the wrong things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the uh, we called him at the time the term which is verboten no, now which was the mentor, mentally retarded faith healer. <laughs> and that was Bobcat Gulfwhite. He was he played a a, a, a child who had a, 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 who was slow mm-hmm. and Ron Lynch the comedian out here who's one of the first uh, he kind of invented him and janine garofalo i guess independently invented alternative comedy Mm -hmm. which is where you can look at your list it's just all casual and not like a you know
0: joke 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 Uh so uh where was i you were fired from that show oh. because you did something wrong there was so a, it was those two sketches mentally retarded and yeah. so
1: doug and i became friends as a result of that hmm. and um been best friends ever since so
0: because before he... you got fired you couldn't stand each other <laughs> no we had the time of our lives though.
1: no it was great doing that show we had a great time but it's like saying all of the best episodes. some of the best episodes they wouldn't air them yeah <laughs> after that <laughs> yeah, after we did them but we were still Still proud of them. <laughs> it was a half hour of comedy every week Yeah, that I, me and Lenny and Doug would write. There were just three of huh. us. Three and um, and you still
0: had that job writing the serious stuff. It's technical the writer. To, to make money, yeah.
1: <clears throat> and, um, excuse me. And then working every night at the comedy clubs.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I had it was plenty of energy time. then. And then In when that came fun. to an
1: end, we ended up coming to L.A.
0: Yeah. So Martin you, first. Yeah. So you came to L.A., you met Annette who introduced you to a lot of People in a LA business. In the meantime though, a lot of my
1: friends started getting famous. Stephen Wright was famous, Buck oh, at was famous while we were in Boston Steve. Kevin Paul, you know, yeah, all the, I mean, so Kevin Meany, mm-hmm. You know, I used to stay with Kevin Meany all the time. And we all had the same kind of sensibility about uh, 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 uh fuck you comedy, kinda of, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, not regular things. It sounds stupid to say but it's true. We yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. like regular stand up. <clears throat> God bless him but Jerry Seinfeld stuff like that, I just didn't laugh that much at it. Mm-hmm. I think it's just cuz of the content. Jerry Seinfeld is a good example because his jokes were fucking pristine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh perfect creations, but the content just didn't make me laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um uh, so Bob Goldthwaite was the first one that got, he came over to my house, um, and my wife and I were, you know, he was so charming and so funny because I knew him since he was 16 in Boston. That's when he started. And then he became famous and he was one of the wittiest and funniest comedians mm-hmm. I've ever met. And he said hey uh, and we were howling laughing because I started pitching crazy ideas for stuff he could do because he and I worked yeah. together before and then he asked he said why don't you write this show with me for Cinemax and it was don't watch this show yeah that's typical yeah, and it had Robin Williams and Woody yeah. Goldberg and uh, you know Dee Snyder, Twisted Sister and uh, all these famous actors because Bob's such a charming funny mm. funny guy he got them all on the show So that's how I met all of them,
0: and well, he's the example of that type of comedy. His movies are the example of that type of comedy, like anti. That's right. What's been done? Well,
1: he became a he became an unbelievably talented film director Mm. and screenwriter years after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was mainly focused on developing his character on stage, which was an anti comedy <laughs> character i mean it just
0: it was there was nobody like him annoying character that you don't want to watch basically <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is the voice everything it's something <coughs> you would run away from <laughs> it's just great so that so while you were when you met annette and stuff so you were like 28 29 when you came to la but that's way before uh, Rocco. Mm -hmm. so you worked on a lot of comedy stuff before you got into animation Mm -hmm. so what what was that like with bobcat and stuff like all these i did a half hour thing don't watch the show with mm -hmm. him and then i wrote
1: and i guess he made me producer too i was i had Mm -hmm. more responsibility although i did less work oddly enough on his stand-up special share the warmth he just was the greatest. So he basically started me off as well mm-hmm. with all that stuff. Because then as a result of those tapes, Kevin Meaney suddenly became famous, and he had an HBO Hour special. So he called me up and said, would you want to be head writer of it? Uh, so then we worked, you know, and then we wrote the craziest show ever.
0: Yeah,
1: Craziest show ever on HBO, I think, was at that time was... was uh, Get that puss off your face, Kevin Manius. Hour special, <laughs> and we had these. He did a stand-up, but we had all these wrap-around things that were so fucking crazy. And we had a live camera. We'd go out into the street, and we had set up all of these uh, insane scenarios with other actors and comedians that we flew in to seem like they just happened to be there. And the camera would follow. Kevin would get on a bus, you know. <clears throat> so. And this was way before that was a common thing. Mm -hmm. So then Kevin Pollack, uh, one of my favorite comedians in San Francisco, and I knew him when I first came here with Don Gavin, one of the funniest, funniest men you'll ever meet, who was one of the funniest comedians in Boston. He and I drove cross-country, and when we ended up in San Francisco, by chance, it was the night before this 1980 comedy competition. And Don, because he's so funny, there was only 20 people that they would accept. And then every night, those 20 people had to do five minutes. Mm -hmm. And then the next week, it was down to 10 people. And then the next, the final thing was, it was down to the top three. So Don came in third. Hmm. And so I would work with Don, you know, what little stuff I contributed. But, you know, I definitely helped him. You have to make the act Mm -hmm. shorter. And uh, that's how I met my wife, Kay, My wife was a writer for May Lee Davis, who later had uh, went uh, performed as Monica Piper, one of the funniest comedians ever. She was so hysterical, and she, she, she was also a comedy writer. Oh my God, she oh, wrote yeah. for so many shows. Oh. <clears throat> She's the nicest no, person know. ever, and just a, a basically a comedy genius. You know? mm-hmm. She came from her dad, Roy, was one of the. Great comedians in the old days, and he had the funniest bits. Uh, so she was a really good physical comedian as well as a as a writer, and a good friend. So as a result, I met my wife because she was like my enemy. She huh. was the my. Uh, she was working against me, trying to
0: oh, yeah, get her to get comedian. Another person, yeah, yeah.
1: So oh, we became friends and. Because mm. it was funny to meet that way. And then we ended up getting married, mm-hmm. you know, three or four years later, I guess. Yeah. So that was in San Francisco. Kay lived in Los Angeles on the Venice Canals. The last of the shacks in Venice Canal before they went uh, all yeah, high-rise yeah. crazy billionaire bill. Mm.
0: So it was the most beautiful place to live. Is that where you lived on Rocco? No.
1: Because you live yeah. in
0: Venice. Up by the canal still? Yeah,
1: so did Swampy. Yeah. Swampy Marsh was also a great benefactor. I guess I'll just jump to that.
0: No. <laughs> after Rocco... Well, no, 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 not not after Rocco. Let's let's still go before Rocco. You met your wife. Yeah. You're in San Francisco. She's in L.A. So what happens after that? You move to L.A. eventually. Moved to L.A. She, I
1: visited her, and then we... Then we ended up getting married. Yeah. So we moved where she was. And then I yeah. removed, moved where she was. Mm. She had a roommate to her cousin Bill, who originally had the place, who's the greatest guy. And then he moved for a job, and so then I just moved in. Mm. And then we got married.
0: Yeah. And what were you working on in LA while you were doing this?
1: Bobcats yeah. stuff and Kevin Pollack's stuff and mm-hmm. Kevin Meany's. These are all HBO. Our specials that I did, mm-hmm. so I had to learn. You know, I had to take it was a grad course, yeah, of learning because I didn't. I wanted to be the best, you know. And I wanted to make sure that I did good, yeah. And everyone's insecure about their writing, especially comedy is so subjective. So I just had to write what was funny to me. That was mm-hmm. the learning. That was the number one learning thing. You never yeah. write for an audience. Always write for yourself. You know. Mm. <clears throat> And that's that's stood yeah. by me really well all even through all the years with kids shows. Me and uh, whoever,
0: everyone I was working with never wrote for kids. You wrote for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after, so how did you get from that to animation? You you met Mary Harrington. You said that was the first. She was the, uh, the greatest. That was the first ever. animation com- connection, right? And through through Annette. Yep. So how did you Annette? arrange a meeting or you yep. met oh really that's just like so Nickelodeon was just starting they just it had like, just starting they just I mean they, they were rerunning stuff for a while but their first shows were uh, Doug. Rugrats Doug and Ren and Stimpy.
1: yeah the greatest show in the world yeah yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <clears throat> that was great yeah so you met uh, you, you met uh, and you met uh, Mary through a and Mary got you a job on Rocco correct that, that that easy it was just that easy well, and no, I, I, had, I wrote a million shows before yeah. that, dude. So no, but that's like some. Sometimes people have to write for the show or show something. Yeah, but animation. Had, nobody so else. No, n- nobody else
1: coming up had the had the street cred that I did, and I was an idiot. But you had no animation credit though. Oh no, that. I did. Little Dracula.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. I wrote yeah. two
1: episodes and one yeah. with the greatest genius yes. in the world, Robert Shaye. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay.
0: Oh, yeah. That helped. So the animation <clears throat> experience plus the comedy experience that was perfect for Rocco.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because he wanted to hire people that never did an animated yeah. show uh, before. Just being funny. He Joe was also the guy that started everything for me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm there, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, trying to figure it out. And there were no scripts, it was all outlines. Yeah. So we had to think of the funniest stuff you could possibly think of that made you laugh. And then if Joe thought it was funny, which he always did, because Joe was not a laugher, but he was uh, the funniest motherfucker. He was so funny. I think it was because he was going through a lot of personal hell Mm. and really difficult Mm -hmm. things that happened, uh, unfortunately, in his life. And he was such a nice guy. So we would then, when he would laugh, he would howl, but it would be very rarely, he would merely sort of kind of smirk and stuff Mm. like that, but that's when you knew he really knew what you were doing was funny and uh so in that experience i'm in the office next to the office of steve hillenberg who was also just mm-hmm. starting off he was yeah. a marine biologist who mm-hmm. went to cal arts and did three experimental films mm-hmm. which were awesome unbelievable and so i said steve this is fantastic and then he showed me a comic book oh this is a funny story uh-huh. He showed me a comic book <laughs> that he'd done in college, uh, called the S- something pool, the standing pool, the huh. inter intertidal pool, or something uh-huh. like that. And it was a comic book uh, that was in part hosted by a sponge. <laughs> Already, so I said, Steve, this is your show. It's un- no one's done an underwater show. Do a- us. <laughs> have this character as your guide, the sponge, and be, and do an underwater show. Huh. He said, oh. And so he always credited me with giving him the idea for Sponge uh. <laughs> 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 By pure chance, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because anybody looking at that would have said that. If, you know, a uh, writer coming in, and his comic book is there, and he's thinking, like, I don't of course, want, yeah. I want to do a
0: show. I don't know what mm-hmm. to do. What was right this. Yeah. already wrote <laughs> yeah. it. Huh. Yeah, we used to spend. A lot, I used to spend a lot of time in, in Steve's office, just talking about stupid stuff, you know.
1: Steve and Derek.
0: Yeah. Well, Derek was
1: after. Derek. Oh, uh, O'Hare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. <coughs> Two partners. Yeah. Who had the funniest comic strip? Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Citizen, Citizen Dog. Dog. Yeah.
1: I mean, the funniest comic <laughs> strip. <laughs>
0: There you go. This was the first part of my conversation with uh, writer Martin Olson. Uh, please head uh, over to the site, the CartoonLunch.com site, where you can uh, not only download this podcast again over and over um, or, or send it to your friends, and you can w- also watch a little uh, video clip of, of Martin Olson telling, uh, well, mostly talking about all the geniuses that he's met uh, <laughs> in his life. And I'm going to post a few pictures of us also um working on these various shows so please join us uh next time the next episode will be the second part of my conversation with martin thank you